Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. That is true, Chuck. We want <laughs> people to stop true. dying, and it doesn't seem like it's happening. Does not no. seem like that anything we've said is is making a dent in the death rate. No, thirty percent increase in overdose deaths in 2017. No way. Yep. What's that number? It's a uh, I forget total. Uh, I think it's eighty three thousand. No, that's about ten thousand more than projected. I thought it was yeah. Good. But they're also taking into consideration benzos. And I was with Dr. Drew for a week. We were, we're, 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 I'll tell you all about it. But, okay. but Drew is obsessed with benzos now. He says there's billions of benzos out there that people right. are dying from. Because they mix benzos and suboxone and benzos and alcohol and suboxone. The kids love the Xanax. They, they go nuts. love they... the Xanax. So, so yeah, we're not, we're not doing our job, Chuck. Uh, <laughs> the death rate is not going not. down. But I wanted to talk about something that Mike had touched on when we were watching TV earlier, which is the camaraderie and the connection that drug addicts had, mm -hmm. right? He was reporting a, a little incident where he almost uh, died in a bathtub in Seattle about in the 80s, probably, I would imagine, the mighty Mike Mart. Was it the 80s, Mike, when you almost it, drowned in the it, bathtub? Yes, it was. Okay. It was the 80s. And somebody just in the road crew of his band, Tex and the Horseheads, before Thelonious. So it had to have been the early 80s. It was David Duway, and he David happened Duet to stumble just, upon me. Well, you said, no, Let Chuck was there. You said he recognized that the bathroom door was closed too long. Yes, that's right? true. There okay. is no fucking 22-year-old junkie that thinks like that anymore. I've met tens of thousands of them. <laughs> right? Oh, my. They don't. They're like, dude's taking a bath. I don't know. So, and let me tell you about my day that I was in. Chuck, this is amazing. Well, okay. I want to finish so, the story, though. Well, the no, I'm going to show you how there's no connectivity because there's no commonsensical human relations for millennials. Okay. And I'm going to give you the example. So, we were walking around the village today. I love Claremont Village. It's got a real record store, Rhino Records. If you're ever in Claremont or the Inland Empire or Pomona or going down the 210 freeway or the 10 freeway, get off an Indian Hill and go to a real record store in Claremont, California called Rhino Records. It's the hmm. biggest record store besides Amoeba in California, I think. And it's right in my city. I've never so been cool. there. Never so, Mike, you've played there, because Thelonious played there, and I'm sure Mike doesn't remember, but we okay, played there. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> In like 89, we played there. It's been open forever. So, I know of it. They do great re reissues and stuff. Well, no, that's the parent company, but this is just a record store. Okay. But anyways, so I go by there. We go to... You know, we go walking around, pushing the baby. We go to the library. We go to Rhino Records. It's like living in fucking 1950s Mayberry around here, right? That's why I live here. <laughs> so, so, but we forgot to bring milk, those little things of milk for Sid, because she's weaned now and she needs her milk, those little, little things that room temperature milks. Okay. I was supposed to bring him, and I forgot, but I blamed Chrissy. So, of course, that's perfect, isn't okay. it? Yeah, of course. So then perfect. I had to get milk. Good husband. <laughs> perfect 1950s <laughs> marriage so so i so since it was her fault i took it upon myself to go find milk right in downtown claremont so i go into starbucks this is this happened this <laughs> afternoon i go into starbucks and i say can i get a cup of milk and the girl keeps looking at the computer screen right and i said you know i have a baby and we need milk and whatever and i just need a just a cup of milk however much it costs She's looking at the screen, right? Like they do. You both know what I'm talking about. Everybody listening to the sound of my voice knows what I'm fucking talking about. I'm a human being talking to another human being, and they don't talk to me nor address me. They just look at a computer screen and start tapping on it. And she starts tapping, and I go, I go like, what is this cup? And I pointed at the espresso cup. And I said, could you just give me that much milk and charge mm. me for the cup, whatever it costs? And she goes, she goes you want one, uh, one shot of espresso? And I said, no, I want the cup. I told you I want milk. And she goes, she goes, $2.65. I said, okay, charge me for that. Wow. And don't, and don't. 
put a shot of espresso in it. Just give it to me right now. Because there was a bunch of people, you know, at Starbucks, they're waiting on their orders, right? I just want the fucking cup, and I'll go over to the, the, the stand with all the milks, and I'll pull her whole milk into the cup. Mom. She goes, I don't... I, so you want, you want uh, one espresso, one shot? And I said, no, I want the cup. She said it twice. So, so I said, just charge me for the cup and then give me the cup. And she goes, uh, what are you going to do with the cup? I said, I'm going to go over and fill it up with whole milk. She goes, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't. I said, between you and I, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. Just give me that cup and charge me two sixty five. And I was holding a $5 bill, standing it to her with a baby that needs milk. She, she didn't seem to connect. She said, I'd have to charge you for the milk. I said, you charged me $2.65 for an espresso I'm not going to get. <laughs> you and? fucking idiot. Right? Yeah. So at this point, I say, can you, can you make the espresso shot, pour it away, give me the cup, and then <laughs> charge me $2.65 for the milk? She starts looking at the screen again. Like, there's going to be a milk button on it. <laughs> it gets better, Mike. It's not over. We're only halfway through the story right now. Mm. I say, you know what? Forget it. And I grab the $5 bill out of her hand, and I walk out, and I go, it's a wonder you can feed yourself, ma'am. No. That's a great, it's a great line. No, it's a fucking true line. <laughs> it's a line out of a Bob Dylan song called Idiot Wind from 1975 <laughs> on Blood, Blood on the Tracks. It, and he says, it's a wonder you can even feed yourself how stupid people are. He said that in 1975. What is Bob Dylan experiencing in 2018 when he walks around? So I, I signal to Chrissy in the Jeep, like, little problem. I'm going to go to Jamba Juice. <laughs> like, like people at Jamba Juice are smarter because they drink juice. I don't that's know what, if they'd even that's have That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the Starbucks, the national brand, McDonald's, the coffee. These people, this is where the dumb people work. The smart people work at the juice bar. Of I go course, to Jamba, logically. I go to Jamba Juice. By this time, I'm famished. I need a smoothie. Right? Because <laughs> it's like two blocks. I walk to Jamba. I go to Jamba Juice. I go in, I say, I want a size super anti. You always have to say exactly what you want at these fucking places because they're looking at a computer screen. They're not humans. They're, they're connected to technology. They're technologically obedient. They Ooh. obey the screen. Right? Ooh. They do. Yeah. So I say a size super anti, a large, you have to say the size first because that's the first button these idiots push. Large, a size super antioxidant whey protein. And then because people are so stupid, you have to say, explain a general rule. So the whey protein is going to make it too big for the cup. And I usually get a little side cup, right? Thinking I'm going to get this little side cup of a uh smoothie for Sid. And then she'll stop crying, right? Right. But then I'm not in that moment because I think multidimensionally, like all us 70s and 80s drug addicts do, I... I then thought, what if Sid does not want a smoothie? Right. What if she so I have choose? to correct my brain, has to operate in human form, problem solving, not looking at a screen to push a button. I have to think, I said, hey, okay. And, and she knew what I meant by the side cup. They, a lot of Jamba Juice people don't, but she did. So then I'm thinking, in that split second, this is a sharp girl. Sharp girl. <laughs> Not, got a good not one. dumb like the we Starbucks person. Yeah. So so I said, hey, can I can I pay you to just um, charge me for the cheapest smoothie? Because I didn't want any more hassles. By this time, I'm like nine minutes into trying to find milk from fucking people who have milk, and I have money and want to buy the milk from them, and they're so fucking stupid they can't even figure out how to sell it to me. So 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 I said, hey. Can I get one of those small cups, the little baby cups with, that they put the smoothie extra in? I'm thinking like nine different levels of thought, just trying to fucking feed a baby milk, right? Yeah. I said, can you charge me? I just want a, that same cup, the side cup, full of whole milk, and then, and then you can charge me for the cheapest smoothie. How about that? She looks at the screen. She looks up at me. 
She says, what is the cheapest smoothie? I said, I don't know. I don't work here. What is the cheap? Like, just charge me whatever for a cup that big of milk. She starts looking at the screen. She's pushing buttons, pushing buttons, pushing buttons. I said, what's going on right now? Now, by this time, I'm nine minutes and 30 seconds away from when I said I would find milk in a few in a minute. Not a very right? good hunter and collector, Bob. No, I'm not in this world. <laughs> God. Yep. You know, in, so I, I'm getting re... I was so angry at, at the way people are so obedient to the screen and don't have human interaction. If I worked anywhere, and I don't give a fuck what I, my kind of uh, situation was, if somebody told me they needed milk for a baby, I would just go get the smallest cup wherever I fucking worked, mm -hmm. and I would pour milk in it, and I would give it to them. Right. That doesn't exist in our society anymore. It doesn't. Not in these computer screen worlds. You're you're scrunching up your face. You're saying it does exist. No, no, no. What, it doesn't exist at no, McDonald's it, it or Del Taco it, or the Jamba Juice. The or, reason I'm scrunching up my face is because that's it, it's not only right, but it's good business. If you come in and they I they don't give you care milk, about your business. You think fucking Starbucks cares whether you come to their fucking business? That that ended a long time ago. The customer is always right. Do, treat the customer. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit at this point. I don't think I can live in this country, I swear to God, because of how this fucking insidiousness and this and why, how it relates to what we're talking about, this is the world these young heroin addicts are growing up in. And they don't have the human qualities that Mike and I and you and your friends and generations of drug addicts had with each other. They don't have it. They have it with an iPad. They don't have it with each other. And mm. you need each other to stay sober. And they've never needed anybody. They just have the screen telling them how the world works, what the rules are, how to abide, how to do the right thing. They haven't had to think independently. They just, the computer tells them. I swear to God. Right? And, and, you know, what, what was fascinating is over the weekend, all these other millennials, uh, they're not millennials, they're the generation after millennials, did this march on Washington, right? So what are they, call, what are, what are they called then? What is the new generation called? Do we know? Oh, we should Google it. Know. Mike, can you I'm Google like that? I'm like five back. So somehow, then, somehow this new generation, though they were born with iPods in their DNA, <laughs> iPads in their DNA, somehow they have a human kind of connection that i don't think millennials have well maybe it's because it didn't it didn't wasn't so it was always there so it was less exciting do you want to hear what happened to jamba juice it gets even better yeah i do so she couldn't figure out what the cheapest smoothie was so now i'm flustered and fucking angry and weirded out and panicky and feeling guilty and the baby's crying and i'm thinking what is the cheapest smoothie because this girl i have to tell her what the cheapest smoothie is because she doesn't know what things she sells she only looks at the screen was there just no container milk around or i mean there's usually no these it's places just place no no milk. it's not like long beach dude it's mayberry <laughs> really yeah there's no markets or anything i it's mean like, even at starbucks don't they have those little containers of milk yes that but you have to have milk? a cup to put it in <laughs> that's I what i was it, trying man. to get a cup to put the milk in mm -hmm. Right? And, that, and I guess I'm, I'm too old to realize, I was talking to a millennial friend of mine who has contempt for his own generation, and he said, you should have just asked for a cup of water. They'll give you a cup of water. And then you just pour the water out and then fill Board it up milk with in. milk. Maybe it's your fault, Bob. You were, you were trying to do it the right okay. way, though. You were I was trying, trying to, to pay for you're milk. To pay for something. <laughs> your crazy, angry dad <laughs> shopping at Starbucks for milk, okay? <laughs> well, there is a component of that. But then listen to what the Jamba Juice girl did. And she was smart because she knew what the side cup was because the whey protein makes it too big, right? She said... She was looking at the screen and she goes, I don't know what the cheapest smoothie is. And now I'm looking up at the screen like, like what's the cheapest smoothie? And so then she says, I'm going to have to talk to my manager. <laughs> and she's walking away. What do I think? You haven't even loaded my smoothie in. I'm going to be here for fucking 10 minutes. There's no one else in here. And I said, no, 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 no. Don't get the manager. Just give me the smoothie. 
and, and just order it and push the button so that it sends the receipt to that person over there so that they start making the smoothie. Because if she, you know, I'm, the thing is not going to be in the till. We live okay, in a mechanized, so. dehumanizing society. Millennials are the ones that somehow it, something got lost. And you know what I'm talking about. There's some fundamentals of how we raised millennials that, that didn't give them a dependence on each other. There's a narcissism or there's an individuality or there's a you're a perfect snowflake or there's something about millennials that the generation that I saw on TV over the weekend and the marches and all that, they don't have it. They have togetherness. They have a concern. Those kids from Parkland care about the kids from Chicago who are scared to go to school because there's so much murder in their neighborhood. They have a human connection. I'm telling you, I deal with millennials. They don't have that. A majority, a, a large percentage of them, including Mark Zuckerberg, right? He's a millennial. He doesn't give a fuck that 50 million people got their identities and he warped the election. He doesn't give a fuck. You know what he gives a fuck about? His fucking stock tanking. Yeah. There's something oh. about Dude, he it. He came I'm, on TV and said he was sorry. <laughs> I think I he's sorry. He's sorry. He lost fifty-eight <laughs> billion dollars in Mike, three days. Mike Martin has a point. He did say he was sorry, which is a lot more than a lot of people do. But but no, I think the, <laughs> in, in, the autonomy, just. the autonomy. Something of about the, millennials. We really need to explore. And I'd like to hear some emails or or please, you know, send us your ideas. It's a unique generation, and they are dying like flies. Because that's what, that's what kills us. That's what kills people like you and me. The uniqueness. And we compare ourselves out. And we compare ourselves. They were bred to be they, unique. They are. They are. Well, you know, and, and who, who does that fall on? That falls the on us. The education system and the, and the political correctness of the parenting of the age. That's what it, I, the I whole the, system. I think that's a huge part of it. It was the political correctness of it that we're all. <laughs> yeah. So somehow, somehow I just saw it. In these 20-somethings that work at Starbucks and Jamba Juice, there's a component to them that thinks that they are so special, unique, and a snowflake, and another component that's very submissive to technology. They don't have a human connection. If you can't understand that a dad is desperately looking for milk because their child is hungry, I got, I, I, you're just taking up space on this planet. Do you understand? Mm. I believe those kids, that Emma kid... Those kids, the 11-year-old girl that spoke, the African-American girl, those kids know about each other. And somehow we have a generation here that's right in front of us. I'm not saying all millennials. I'm saying certainly the tens of thousands of drug-addicted millennials. There is something about them that is uniquely disconnected from humanity. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we've got some. We we actually are the parents of some. You know, no, that's, it's it's funny that you would say that because uh, my oldest son took seven years clean on Sunday. But oh, when, I saw that on Facebook. But but when he showed up down there, he showed up with a handful of friends, which is once they get out of the addictive thing. When he was when he was caught up in his addiction, he was a lone wolf. There was no pack he ran with. There was him, and it was him and whatever well, I saw city the he went to. Of all those kids, those are all people that were there to support him because he doesn't normally go to that meeting. That's my home group. So like, so who were those kids that were in the pictures? They were friends of his and his that and are Sasha sober, and, that are sober. Yeah. He, well, and that they're supporting him, but they showed up out there. You know, they didn't sit at home. They didn't send stuff on their on their phones. They got up. They got their asses out of bed. They went down to Sunset Beach. They parked their cars a mile away and walked over, and they were there to be supportive and to go congratulations. So now that he's been living that way for a while, he's stepped back into a role that's more like what we had. There's friends, there's a tribe, and he's not dependent on 12-step meetings. Well, but, but also know that we were, what Mike was describing prior to us going on the air here was, you know, people that worked with us, like roadies, that we all cared about each other, mm -hmm. right? It was weird. I, I saw a film, I wanted to show Chrissy the Fashante film. It's called Stuff. Any of you at home want to see what drug addiction looks like, Go on YouTube and find a movie called Stuff about John Fashante. 
And at the end, it says thank yous, right? And it says thank you to Frenchie. That's one of them, because he was our drug dealer. Fucking, the fucking heroin <laughs> dealer, wasn't it? Fucking drug dealer? So, so Mike, we, at the end of this film that some friends of mine and I made, we like, I was there, you know, putting stuff around, set dressing. Um, wasn't much of set dressing, just like showing them the worst parts of the house. But, uh, but we, were, we, we really loved our drug dealer. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't think there's a connection of community amongst these 20-somethings. I, I think that, that, that there's something, something we've got to establish with them. Well, yeah, and, and that fr- is a dependence on other people. And Frenchie was more like our friend that got the drugs. More yeah. than the drug dealer, you know what I mean? Like he was the drug dealer. Well, but, but I don't think today. that's how millennials think of their drug dealer. <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe no. you know, maybe maybe there's no. a like a, a who knows? I mean, I don't know. I have no. They I get it off Craigslist. They don't even know. They don't even know the person who's right. selling them drugs. Oh, I see. Yeah, that type. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's, there's no. Weird... There's no junkie artisan at all. So that. since there's no craftsmanship. Think about it. If they've been trained working these retail jobs where the computer tells them it's technological obedience don't ever forget that i invented that phrase right <laughs> okay. techno technological T-O. obedience then as soon as they come into the drug age they trust technology so much they trust buying drugs from a stranger on craigslist and they don't know who that person is they don't know anything about them it's a burner phone they could die from fentanyl laced heroin and no one's gonna ever be the wiser mm-hmm. Right, mm. and and even in the old days, Mike at MacArthur Park, when we used to score, you went to the same corner, and it was the same like ten guys, one of ten guys, and you yeah, went there, Lake you Street went there or something like two, that, yeah. two, three times a day, and you knew what they looked like. You remember and you all knew those dope dealers were. on Lake Street yeah, I, huh? and Bonnie Bray and Six? Yeah, Bonnie Bray. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and the reason <laughs> why, and I got to move up and who I bought from because Ooh. I had some uh, money and so I became friends with this middle middle level rent collector guy who who for uh, 18th street named Weto greatest guy ever like really great solid guy looked out for me looked out for my girlfriend when I was on tour she, he was like you know the type Mike you can I, count I on him. him yeah Weto so he, he was an albino Mexican guy Kind of stuck out. Makes I don't know. Sense. You know, yeah. It's easy Your to name spot. Name makes sense. Then. <laughs> easy to spot. Yeah. So, so, um, so he he was in charge of that block, right? And he wasn't going to let people rip people off. That you could trust the dope on Bonnie Bray because it was regulated by somebody who didn't want people ripped off because he wanted a even flow and everybody come through and get their product and get the fuck out of here. Right, somebody right. who's going to poison someone with fentanyl is going to be dead themselves. Right? There's no retribution in drug dealing these days. Nobody's regulating it. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> if yeah. it's these independent rogue Craigslist people that are making the pills themselves or mixing the dope themselves and going on Craigslist and posting up something and blasting out you know, five thousand dollars worth of product in a couple of hours, and then turn it back off. You know, there. I go to I go to gatherings. Yeah, there's with, no telling what they put in. They the they pills put fentanyl in it. They put you know fentanyl I mean? but in it. There's no telling. Like at least back in our day, you knew it was either dog shit, donkey shit, or road tar. <laughs> That was how Mike graded dope. That would be, let let me, Chuck looks very confused because Chuck is younger than us. Chuck, that means like 20% pure, 30% pure, 50% pure. Right? Okay. So, you, but dog shit is good too. How could you be? <laughs> 20% I'm sure is good. <laughs> 20% I mean, is Or whatever it was, man. I knew, knew, I knew. It was cut sometimes it, the, the bottom of the spoon is yeah, horrible. But like. yeah, it was like charcoaly. But, but when you opened the balloon, you could smell it and you knew whether it was 20, 30, 40. It was very consistent. Very consistent. <laughs> well, here's how you well, could also know, and I'm telling you, this, these are things that this generation of drug addicts aren't, it's not, it's not in the drug addiction world anymore. When, when they wouldn't give you a deal on a balloon, right, you knew it was good, right? So I used to buy like five balloons for 80, right? They're $20 each. When they wouldn't do it for 80, I was excited because, okay, 
I, uh-huh. I would say 80, 80, 80, 80. And they would say, no, 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 no. And they'd put it back in their pocket or put it back in their mouth and walk away to the curb. And I'd be like, no, no, no. Okay, come back, come back. I got 100. Okay, okay. Because that meant this is really strong dope. They wouldn't give you a deal on it. Like four, hmm. for, but five for 80. But when it's getting low and I got to make it last. But, but they- I just don't think that that's all human stuff. That's all commonsensical. Learn as you go. Learn from each other. You know, I learned, I learned that from Top Jimmy. I learned so many things about dope from Top Jimmy. The first time I really had to go on tour for a long time strung out was like in 87, I think, right? We were going to be gone for three months. And I was like, fuck, what am I going to do, Jimmy? He goes, anywhere you are, just get up in the morning, look in the yellow pages, find out where the methadone clinic is, and go there. Take a cab there. You'll find dope. That was the greatest advice yeah, I ever got, that's where ever. The, that was, that's where the dope dealers hang out. Because, yeah, dope if you go to the methadone clinic at 8 in the morning in North Las Vegas uh, sure. or go Denver, Colorado, or Des Moines, Iowa, I scored dope at the methadone clinic. Makes sense. Because you meet yeah. some old dude and like, hey, can you hook me up? Like, sure, you got money? Sure. Not, not many people have to worry about going on tour, though. But, but think about the humanness of that. I have to go to the methadone clinic i gotta make my i gotta talk to people that are standing around milling around i've got to read them i've got to trust one old i always picked the old dope fiend dude right they're not gonna <laughs> rip you off and they can't run very fast <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean yeah <laughs> and you just learn the humanness of drug addiction that i think this generation that is dying so much they have not learned anything about no, drug no, addiction. they would just internet it they would internet it and get it dropped off by somebody. Well, they also, don't know. they go to rehab all the time and talk more about themselves as these important people. I think rehab is a contributor to the death. You know, it's, it's funny because that's like where their, their groups of friends come from. My groups of friends are like pre, even in uh, high school, but the people we ran around with doing drugs with, drinking with, whatever we were doing, those people I still hook up with and we still hang out. We still do things together. There's a great there's a great thing called the the um, the naked ape and then the guy had another book in the 70s and he talked about who is your tribe tribalism right mm-hmm. and he said your tribe is in your phone look at who the last people you talk to okay I talked to Evan at 5:39 that's my business partner and coke alcoholic sober guy I talked to uh, Chrissy same I talked to you and Mike. I talked to my ex-wife, who's a sober person. I talked to this guy who's in detox, who's totally bumming out and scared and doesn't know what to do. I talked to... uh, So the ninth person down my phone. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. My tenth person down on my phone today is a person who's not an addict. So Hmm. my world is the camaraderie of... Both high people like the guy David, who's in detox, <laughs> yeah. who I love, and and uh, and all my sober friends and people that are battling. Then the next one after the tenth person was not a drug addict. The eleventh one was. The twelfth one is a guy that I love that works at Aloe, um, who told me to call the guy in detox because he's totally bumming out. Hmm. Right, this whole phone. This is a daily thing of connection to other addicts of human contact though i'm only texting right it's still more human contact than through facebook or instagram or, then then or last Snapchat. night last night i sent drew this thing about the other opioid crisis hospital shortages lead to patient pain there's no there's been this crackdown on opioids people that really get in car accidents they often don't have pain medicine at the emergency no room. way how fucking crazy is that then um i talked to ivan my sober friend who played the roxy last night i went and saw then i talked to frenchy last night hey frenchy his daughter is playing a concert mike opening for fee Wabel in pasadena i'm going this saturday no way yeah, How her, fun. First, her first that. big gig. She's opening for the tubes, like legendary shit. White punks on dope. Who did you open for your wow. first big show, Mike? I think the first big Me? show we you opened for. You want to know who it was? Yeah, it was somebody who? you actually have heard of. Who? Smile. <laughs> you opened for Smile? Don't you remember that yes. band? Kevin DeBro, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> Pretty quiet riot. Smile. <laughs> yes. Dude, smile. Smile. Remember a band in Huntington called A La Carte? 
Yes. I loved a la carte. Yeah, remember the drummer used to <laughs> smile, paint eyes smile, on his eyelids? Yeah, <laughs> smile was similar to a la carte. It was the first time I saw that. I thought it was so oh, cool. Was Randy Rhodes in Smile? Uh, probably some guy that looks like him. I don't know. <laughs> they all look alike. You even look like him. That, that picture yeah, you posted that picture was so me. I was trying to look like a heavy metal dude. Did you see the, oh, the, the we all did. prom I, picture? It's classic. So, so, but get this. This is Frenchie's daughter, Clarice, who I babysat when she was, you know, little. And I remember first time I ever saw Shrek was like she was at my house when I was like two years sober and Frenchie had to work. And I was like, I'll watch her. And then, you know, you got a four-year-old running around like, what the fuck do I do? And uh, so <laughs> he had brought a VHS copy of Shrek. And I was like, holy fuck. And I put it in and she just sat there and watched it. I was like, this is how you parent. This is it. Shrek. And it's the first time I ever saw Shrek was with Clarice. Now she's the singer of a band who's opening their first big gig is opening for fucking Fee Wable. That's very cool. And it ended up, me and Frenchie were talking about it last night, and it ended up, I, I bought a bunch of tube songs on my phone. And I was listening to White Punks on Dope. Dan, da, dan, da, dan, da, dan. White Punks on Dope. Remember that song, Mike? Yeah, so, I, no, no, no. I, qu I quoted that song. White Punks on Dope. And then Don't Touch Me There. You ever heard that song by the tubes? Oh, yeah, yes. sure. Don't touch me there. Don't touch me there. So, so, so Clarice so gets to open for the tubes. You don't think he's going to still wear the giant shoes, do you? No, he's yeah. like old guy with a suit on, I would yeah, imagine. But he wears the shoes? He's got to do white punks on dope or, or what do you want <laughs> from life to kidnap an heiress or threaten her with a knife? I, I, I mean, maybe Alice like, Cooper maybe still like wears one in a million and stuff like that when it, when there was, it was bigger crossover stuff. When it wasn't the original, I can't even talk anymore. My throat's killing Does me. Does Alice oh, Cooper still wear the makeup? Yeah, yeah he, well, does. a little bit, yeah. Well, but fuck, I mean, man. Too, yeah, but, well, we'll see. I'm going on Saturday. See Clarice open for Fee Wable. Report. It's going to be great. So anyways, I, that's my day. I just think that we, rather than have rehab, you know, we have to have standard rehab for millennials. We also need to teach humanity to re to to a lot of these millennials and and have them understand when a dad is desperate for milk and his baby's crying try your best to get him to for some milk don't keep looking at a computer screen trying to figure out what the rule is or if it fits in if starbucks has figured out hey a dad's gonna come in looking for milk a baby's arm holding an apple <laughs> you know, what I mean? you know what I mean, and you know, just like that—that that thing that we grew up with. Customers always right. When I tell kids that, they can't even comprehend that. What is it? Technological, technological, technological obedience. Oh my god! Right. So the customer's always right. What happened to that? What they do is they have this stuff that they're told to say. Thank you. Can I help you? They just have the cues. Like it's—it's it's almost like Westworld. No, it's AI. It's it, like it doesn't mean anything, right? It, and they're missing the point. And so at the end of the Jamba Juice thing, so Manja comes out and I said, you know what? I, I just got to go. Forget it and whatever. And I had left the $10 and she picked it up. And I said, you guys keep it. I just can't. I can't deal with it. I'm sorry. And I left and I gave them $10. I'm sure they're still sitting there with that 10 bucks going, why did he leave $10 here? Because I was just, I was so about to take their computer screen and throw it through the fucking window <laughs> to show some human feelings. Right, and they're just so puzzled that you're frustrated because they're obeying the screen. Aren't we all in agreement that the screen is the ruler <laughs> of the universe? No, it's, it's something. So some, I'm I'm being exaggerating and I'm being funny, but there's something to that. That yeah. there is just a lack of humanity in our society. I mean, I hate to go down. I hate to send it down some rabbit hole and stuff, <laughs> but. I have been totally thinking that, like, it, the, the way it, it might go is you acquire an AI because they're, they're now cheap enough for regular people to get them. They, they grow with you, and they, they get to know you, and they know how to respond to you, and you actually prefer the inside world because the outside world is just so fucked. Uh, well, well, yeah, that, but we can change it. And so what I want to do, and I'm going to do this thing um, here in Claremont maybe, but definitely back east in at, with Lehigh University and Aloe, we're going uh, to experiment with something back east this summer. I don't, I don't even want the standard mediocre drug treatment. I want to teach kids how to love. I want to teach it like how to think, how to think. How about that? 
How about teach people how to think again? And to interact. You know, David Foster Wallace, who... Well, we who, have interaction classes. Wait, like cl yeah, just sit there and be with each other. But um, David Foster Wallace from Claremont, and, um, and he was a great writer and a great teacher here, and kids were in awe of, of that he was a professor and taught here at the Pomona Colleges, right? And there's a lot of different stories about him teaching, and, and mostly what he was talking about was not... Not how to think, but what to think about. That was one of his main mm. messages. That, that people are too caught up in what to think, right? Political correctness, dogma, uh, rules. Instead of what to think about, right? The, the structures are taught, but the thinking is not taught. Like, you get to choose what you think about, mm. right? So use your thinking time wisely, and, and, and I think we all need to develop. And one thing that happened to me when I got sober was I had habituated myself to have no language skills. And I recognized that, right? Um, that, you know, 1996, I got sober in March of 96. So, like, in the summer of 96, it started to become, I was coming out of the fog of five years. And I started to recognize, like, I'm not the same person that I used to be. Hmm. I can't, I don't. If, if the person that I was in 1996 couldn't have written the songs, written the songs I wrote in 1988, was incapable language skills wise. I wasn't the same brain. I had changed. In the big book, it says, "Glass in hand, we have warped our minds." Right. I needed to retrain myself and you know start to use language again and start to think about what I was going to share. Right, because because here's a typical share of me and, and with four months over. I don't know. I'm just fucked. You know, I'm fucking grateful to be here. I'm fucking. I talk like one <laughs> I, one of these kids, right? And 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 it was. I just was trapped with this little pea brain that couldn't think anymore. And so I started reading again. It was so fucking hard. That's why they tell you read the big book. I I would literally read a page and I didn't know what I had read. I would be two, three pages down the road. I had no fucking idea. I had no ability to comprehend what I read. Right? Right, but it's important to retrain the brain. Retrain the brain. And to sit alone with your thoughts and to read. And that's, that's the most beautiful thing about reading that book is it gets you alone and thinking. Well, reading gets you alone. And I don't think that, that somehow retraining the brain is a key factor in sobriety, in long-term sobriety. Mm. I really think how you... How you start to open up and you're, you can start to think in multidimensional ways and start to dream about what you want. I remember I was like seven months sober and somebody noticed I was a little moody and up and down, up and down like newly sober people are. And this woman that I knew that was a counselor uh, from Cry Help said, Bob, you ever done the wish list? And I was like, what the fuck is that? You know, right away I got prejudice. Anything with a wish and list. <laughs> that sounds I don't, lame. That yeah. sounds so lame. Yep. I won't say what I really think it says, like the text I sent you guys today, because <laughs> I don't want to be crucified by the ultra left. But, the, but she said wish list. And she said, you know, it's just a thing that you do, like, just dream. So get a notebook and just write down some dreams that you would, you know, that could never happen, but that you would, that you want to have happen. Like, but you don't think right now it could ever happen. And I still have that book. I still have it. And in it, I said, I'd like to be able to make music again. And then you're supposed to dream further. There's this little worksheet that Cry Help okay. used to have about yeah. it. You're supposed to dream further than that because a lot of times we're, we're limiting and we don't want to take a, you know, take a chance and really tell people well, what we dream of. Not only that, but... I was afraid of being judged if I told you my whole thing. Yeah, and, th and that guardedness is part of what's killing us, mm -hmm. what kills us, right? So I had to take a leap of faith. I only showed it to her, right? And, um, and I said, someday I would love to record a song with Joe Strummer. Like, and I thought, that's so, the toothless fucking homeless guy is now going to dream about something that could have happened in the 80s but didn't, and now somehow in the future it's going to happen. Um, and and th though that didn't come true, I got to play with Joe a lot and played every show he ever played in L.A. with him, and it was fun, and he was my hero. And those things that are on there, that I had a home and a family, 
right? Mm. I didn't want to admit that because I'm a junkie. I don't fucking care about people. And what the fuck? It's fucking for, for, <laughs> for, you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I have that. And, and those dreams that they make you think about things. That's all I can say. The workbooks and the things that we used to do in rehab make you think. Talking about your feelings doesn't make you fucking think. It makes you self-obsessed and self-just implosion. I'm, it just makes you think about yourself more. Yeah, it makes you think about yourself more. And the insurance industry demands it. Demands it, Mike. That's why treatment is just, it's not helping. So I want to create this thing. It's called, we came up with the name because Evan, Evan, Evan threw out a name I was scared of. Bob, like put it all on me like Bob Forrest <laughs> like I fuck that Bob if Forrest it, Town if it blows up and it's all shit I don't want my name attached to but it. if it's great <laughs> if it's great I'll tag it I on the end change the name <laughs> Bob Forrest Fat Bye. Town for Rehabs <laughs> so that's gonna be called Aloe um, Aloe Houses Community Center right and so it'll be the place where you taught how to you know you have assignments that taught how to think again and you're encouraged to talk about important things instead of how you're feeling you understand it's going to go against Big, everything bigger that ideals is, everything that is treatment well we're going to have civics classes we're going to have we're going to have people read the constitution and the bill of rights <gasps> no seriously no i seriously i don't know very many people that have <laughs> it's fucking crazy right right but they talk about it all day on facebook's <laughs> <laughs> Could you not do one thing for me? Don't, what? Don't teach them how to fix their computers. Once they're broken, just tell them they're no good. Throw them away. Yeah, just you know, you know we finally took our computer. Look, I put it in here because this is the wasteland of Bob's house right here. <laughs> so, so we've had this computer right here for okay. fucking ever. I had it out in Joshua Tree ten years ago, right? Oh no! And so I just moved it to every house I had. I moved it. I moved it to Beachwood. Then I moved it to here. And finally, Chrissy and I were sitting around the other day, and I was like, "We haven't used that computer in a fucking year, and it just." sits there taking up space and she goes i know you just have an ipad and then the only thing that we really use it for since we moved to claremont is to print out dodger tickets or lakers tickets because you get them emailed to you and then you have to print them out to go there right okay so that's the only reason we had it then chrissy figured out a way you can just print it out on your out of your phone yeah. with wi-fi to the printer so that thing hasn't been used. I just thought, I'll bring it over next door and hook it up and turn it on. So it's, <laughs> if anybody needs to access the World Wide Web, it's right here. But, but people, you don't need computers if anymore. Out, if you can figure out DOS. You got your phone. That's <laughs> yeah. a stronger computer than, than anybody's ever had uh, up until now. You know what it's I crazy, mean? crazy, yeah. It's crazy. So, you know... Technolog technological obedience, I think, is a contributor. I think a lack of hum human connection and accountability and wisdom, right? And just plain old brain power is missing. And, talk and so treatment should address that. It should make you fucking think, not make you talk about your feelings, which is what treatment is. And I can guarantee you, I went to Hazelden, the Harvard of Rehab, in 1988. You didn't talk about your feelings when you went there. They didn't give a fuck about your feelings. They gave a fuck about what, you, what your life was, what your what life used to be, and how you wanted to get back to that life in a cognitive, behavioral, assignment-driven, like it felt like you were in college. I remember being there thinking, I got all these assignments. What the fuck? <laughs> You know what I mean? The first thing you yeah. did at Hazelden, you had to... Mike, you would love this. Mike, I think you would, you would get scared at what the total is. So the first thing they do is have you guesstimate from the time you started using and drinking the, the actual physical cost of that. So if you went out to a bar and you drank 10 drinks on the weekends, 20 drinks times $2.50 at the time, you know what I mean? And, and then cocaine came in and you were buying a gram a week or, and then that ended up being a gram a day or, and, and, and just, and you totaled it all up. So your first assignment at Hazelden was an assignment that was concrete and driven by, by cognitive thinking and writing things down to get you, and it, they had this guide sheet, and it got you how to kind of guesstimate 
the financial total that drug and alcohol abuse, and it had a category for divorce, uh, criminal behavior, bail, all that kind of stuff. And at that time, I remember it was 1988, I'd only been using heroin every day for three years. I'd been using coke and meth and drinking for since I was 17, so 11 years. That total was over $200,000 then, <laughs> right? So imagine right. I used for eight more years every day. Imagine what the total is. But then the rehabs became all about feelings. How are you feeling today, Bobby? You know, I'm a little sad. I'm feeling, a little sad. I'm feeling little, very broke. I'm feeling, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I can't imagine that being an honest exercise anymore anymore i think everybody would want to instead of being embarrassed by how much they spent they'd be bragging, bragging. oh it yeah it would be like dude i spent like 10 billion dollars <laughs> i can't believe it because i was spending like a million they a would day. post it on facebook yeah dude i spent over 10 billion dollars on heroin you know and i died like 23 times <laughs> it's weird it would be a bragathon yeah. So, Bob, so Bob gets a country accent. Remember when we heard this? Bob gets a country accent when he talks about these clients. And Chuck gets Spicoli. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we... This is we, great. Well, no, I can tell you why that is. Because I get mostly people from Washington, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. You get people from Southern California. <laughs> So, so his millennials are Southern California millennials. Mine are from the great, great Midwest kind of, in the in the great Northeast, oh, Northwest. That's, that's really right. Fed. So, but and I and I I'm talking about millennials, but I'm not I'm not saying all millennials, and I'm not being. I'm just trying to say, hey, listen, baby boomers are fucking assholes. Baby boomers, <laughs> me, me, I'm a baby boomer, are fucking assholes. They're the reasons why this whole fucking cesspool of a society exists the way it does. Well, right. They That's are, what I was saying last week. The yeah. baby boomers are responsible for the apathy of these millennials. But the baby boomers are responsible for the greed. Uh, the one thing, if you had to say, and what are baby boomers? Yeah. Greedy. Right, they were idealistic. Right, I remember my sisters, and and I was a little younger, but idealistic. The world's going to change. John Lennon's going to change the world. John Lennon. John Lennon's going to change the world. And then John Lennon got shot in the head by a fucking freak who was reading Catcher in the Rye. Nineteen eighty. Right, and and the whole world just shifted to like, fuck it, man. Let's just make some dough. Uh, Like, fuck it. 80, 80s were the me the me decade, right? Yeah, let's just make some dough. And now it's what's called extreme capitalism, right? At the at the expense of human human decency, right? This tax cut that Trump did, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Rich people need more money. Well, good. Right? I'm glad they're finally getting it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wish didn't know I, how they were getting by without this I, I tax know, cut. But how were they surviving? I don't how know. were they putting fuel in their planes? I don't know, but it's good to know Maybe they will be. be like a giant gumball and they just choke on it. No, but know? so so I can say the most critical thing of the baby boomers they brought greed and dehumanizing greed to to the America and Western Europe and eventually to all the world. I well, mean, I, the I, the global economy is the baby boomer economy. I think make money for right. doing nothing. Well, I think people miss the whole point, though. If there, it does sound like um, millennials are being picked on, but it's not. It's because that's the focus of who's dying right now. The reason I think that we end up on millennials all the time is because this is the focus of we. Those are the people that are are dying in numbers that are so insane. So this is why we keep getting back to that. It's not because how do we the, stop the death? How do <laughs> how do we keep them alive long enough to be able to find a life like we found? That's I think all. I think that treatment is broken for them, and we need to retool treatment. And my and and Evan and Jared and Allo have have believed in me so far, so good that we're going to try this pilot program, and we're going to. It's not going to be anything about feelings. It's going to be everything about action and thinking, and and you know one of the AA things I like is take the right action. You're thinking it'll correct itself, right? Right. That's true of people who who know how to think. If you don't know how to think, <laughs> you're not. Your thinking is not going to get corrected by getting a job at Jamba Juice or Starbucks. I fucking guarantee no, you that. <laughs> I guarantee well, they're you off that. the sponsor list for sure. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they're, John, they're with Jamba that sponsorship. Juice, you know. And I thought of writing an email of my experience to both Jamba Juice and Starbucks, and and. 
I was just like, who would read it? Who gives a fuck? How do you complain? <laughs> how do you even complain in to, a world of technological obedience? Yeah. Right? And so, Mike, I just, you know, what do you think of that? I just think we need to teach people, that, you know, what to think about. Think, Stop thinking about negative shit and what you feel. Like, nobody gives a fuck what you feel. Let's start thinking about what you want to do with your life. No, that just breeds more self-centeredness, you know? I mean, alcoholics are already self-centered enough. Everything focuses and revolves around them. I know. I am one. But, uh, I know. It's well, alcoholics are intrinsically you fight, yeah, self-centered. Yes, you fight that every, every turn. And imagine, so what I'm saying, Chuck, and I know this is hard for you to hear, I think rehab is making it worse. What? By indulging them in their feelings and about them and they're so special. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? We're going to have a bay cruise later this afternoon. You know what I mean? Treatment should be, what the fuck are you doing with yourself, dude? You're going to die. Like, yeah. let's start thinking about what you could do to change your life. And talking about your feelings is not going to accomplish that in any fucking way talking about what diagnoses you have is not going to fix that in any way i truly believe that because all these kids that we meet they've been on medicine their whole fucking lives for every diagnosis they have you know what i mean if it works how come they're so sick how come they're so fucked up how come they want to die how come they don't care if they fucking die how about that I've had hundreds, if not thousands of kids, when I tell them, there's, dude, there's fentanyl in the dope. Don't be shooting dope. And they go and do it, and they luckily survive. And I go, dude, I told you, there's fentanyl in the dope. Dude, I don't care. I don't fucking care, Bob. I don't care. I don't care like you care. You care more about me than I do. I've had uh, quite a few kids tell me that. And it's mm -hmm. true. And it's fucking true. Yeah. How did true. we create a generation that don't care enough about themselves, who are so, so self-obsessed with their feelings and their diagnoses and their medicines and their anxiety and their depression? Well, you know, I think outsiders have always felt that way. You know what I mean? Like a lack of connection with society and I don't care. If no, I but we had connection with each other. We did. I have never. I met with Hunter. Listen to me. I met Hunter S. Thompson one time. I've been connected to Hunter S. Thompson since the day I read Fear and Loathing. There is <laughs> okay. a com, there is a community of rebellion that you were a part of. I don't think millennials feel a part of that. Yeah, they're just out there on their own, individuals. Yeah. Individual possessed, uh, uh, you know, consumed by their feelings, and then they come to us for guidance and help, and we tell them, "How are you feeling today?" So it should be Bob Forrest, Rehab Bob. No, I, we don't, I don't care want. about your feelings, <laughs> Rehab. Chuck's got a clinical now. thought here because I'm grinding. Oh, I interrupted him. Yeah, I'm You're, sorry. Yeah, just stop. Chuck's got a <laughs> sorry, clinical Chuck. thought. Chuck is the real licensed counselor. My license lapsed. I don't. I so so I don't have a license anymore. It lapsed. Aww. It lapsed, and I just That's like a, I'm, I'm about to become unqualified. Anyhow, are you? Because Katie, no, Katie isn't no longer. It's no longer a licensing agency. So only, you only have Katie to go to is, something so else. So I'm, I'm switching over to CCAP. What is that? CCAPP is another um, licensing. Oh, Europe. well, but you have a license right now. Right. And I don't. But So yeah. tell me what you think. If you just heard this guy, Bob's going to start a rehab that's not about feelings and doesn't give a fuck about what the insurance companies want. What what do you hear there? I think that you've, you've finally, it sounds like you've come full circle on the idea of when you first started having the Don't Die gatherings, it was to listen to the millennials, not being picked on because of who they are, but because this is where this is happening to find out what they need in treatment, to hear them, to hear from them and their parents and that community to see what it would take for them to be able to heal. It sounds like you've gathered your information and you're ready to move forward. We're going go to a year, go to a year and a half later. But that was one of the first things we had ever, you had ever talked about when I saw you down in, in Newport down there when you were talking about this whole thing. And it was about... Yeah, we had those. There was like a hundred of them at that and, thing. And it was, the whole idea was... How do we find out what these kids need? We need to hear from them. And this is what you heard. 
they've been hearing what their feelings are their whole lives. They've been asked what they felt when they when they bumped their knee. How did it make them feel? Were they embarrassed that they fell down that they hurt their knee? And, <laughs> and it, it's so convoluted. And we want them to have no pain and we want them to have no struggle. And we, we failed them because we didn't hold them accountable. The way f- children, at least my kids, felt cared about was when I was putting into place restrictions, rules, things that I expected of them made them feel loved. I want you to go to bed at nine o'clock because you need to get rest. When I wasn't mean enough to Sasha, he was like, why don't you tell me what time I need to come home? Don't you love me? Those are the things that, you know, we need people telling us what, you know, what? people being on you, don't eat that, don't eat this, don't do that, don't smoke, don't, do, those are the, that's how we know we're cared about. I don't think there's, you know, I, I appreciate that. I, I think that I just see this disconnect of them as a tribe. And then when they do get sober and stay sober, I've analyzed those kids, right? They're not kids. They're in the late 20s, right? They all attach to the recovery industry. Mm-hmm. The recovery industry is a very powerful community to attach to. Right? There's a language we all talk. There's a camaraderie and an understanding. There's a whole, there's a whole unspoken community that working in treatment is. Mm-hmm. Right? And next episode, we're going to interview one of my former clients who runs a sober living uh, with uh, unwilling millennials. <laughs> 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 and we're going to see how that's doing for him. But, but he's one of my favorite guys in the world. And next episode, uh, you'll hear... Uh, our interview with a guy who's really fighting the frontline war on death on millennials. All right. He's the guy who, when they say, fuck it, I'm out of here is talking them out of Colin Craigslist. My friend Forrest George will be in the next episode. Talk to you later guys. Bye. Don't die. Mike music, please. <laughs>